Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of The New Abnormal. We thank you so much for being here. Jeremy Peters is a journalist at the New York Times, as well as the author of Insurgency, How Republicans Lost Their Party and Got Everything They Ever Wanted. Welcome to the new abnormal, Jeremy Peters. Thank you for having me. I want to say that I really like this book. And Thank you. when I saw the cover, I was like, this is actually the truest subtitle ever. How Republicans lost their party and got everything they ever wanted. <laughs> It really is. And I think, like, especially given the events in the news right now and the continued whitewashing of history that Republicans are doing around January 6th, and, you know, it, I was I was going to say the, the, the apologizing they're doing for it, but they're not even apologizing for it anymore. They're just they're just for trying to forget that it ever happened and wipe it from our collective memory. But it, it's true because they have made peace with all of Trump's flaws and his his destructiveness and and the threats uh, th- that he poses not just to our our own democratic system but to the the long-term health of their party that they can look past that because he gave them so much of what they wanted as conservatives and it starts with the supreme court but it but it certainly doesn't end there and i i spent a lot of time as i reported this book especially toward the end asking social conservatives evangelicals um and then kind of more you know i guess you could call them reagan-esque low tax low spending economic conservatives was it all worth it and Not a single one of them said no. It's like the real core of the Republican Party is rot. I mean, it's just amazing. So I want to start with you went to Mm Mar-a-Lago. Talk to me about what that was like, because you were sort of in between, right? I mean, there was a whole kind of tranche of reporters going down there to interview Mm -hmm. him for books. I mean, what was that like? (laughs) Yeah, we got like a write-up in Vanity Fair because there were so many of us, um, yeah. including many of my my colleagues at the New York Times. But uh, it was it was surprisingly easy, and this is this is the thing that people. Well, I don't know if they forget it, but it's something. It's an interesting window into Trump's thinking and and the way that he sees the media, even you know media like me, who who he's called you know the enemy of the people, um, as very very integral to his success as a politician. But you know they invited me down there, and I had asked for an, an interview, of course, and and hadn't heard anything for quite a while. And then a few weeks after he left office, I got a call asking if I'd like to schedule, and I. I was intrigued, obviously, but given that January 6th was not that far in the rearview mirror, 
I wanted to just see how, like how he was mentally. And this was, you know, as, as you would expect, it's quite a come down, basically moving into retirement at your beach house, even, even one as nice as Mar-a-Lago after being the man who could control news cycles with the few taps of his fingers and move markets. Right. So he definitely seemed a little deflated to me, but the, the anger and the delusion, the denial of reality was just as strong uh, as, as it was, you know, when we saw him on January 6th and in and, and the weeks after, uh, the weeks before even, really. I mean, it was, it was pretty remarkable how he had, and I don't know, I don't want to get in, inside his head too much. I don't know if he talked himself into this notion that the election was stolen from him, but I got to say, like, I don't think he's kidding. When he says when he says this, like he he's he's convinced that this happened to him because everything always happens to him. Nothing is ever his fault. Any kind of right. failure is always someone else's fault. And so therefore losing the election was something that was done to him. And he, he referred to it with this odd passivity. Right. It was kind of like, well, they he said at one point, well, they say I didn't win. As, as if it's like this distant thing. It was, it was pretty remarkable. And I got to say, I, I know you didn't ask this, uh, but like the, 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 maybe you're getting to it, but like the second interview I did with him later on, he was even angrier and, and, and more convinced or, or at least sounded more convinced that this had been done to him. That is an, a fascinating adventure. I mean, how would that have even been done to him? He sees it as a number of different failures, um, none of which are his. It's Republicans who distanced themselves from him, who didn't fight, who refused to stand by him as he you know, shredded the norms of a quiet, gracious exit from the public stage that, that we've seen from all other presidents. So... I think he feels, and this is part of why I think he's been able to talk himself into this lie, is he looks at all of the Republicans who won. And and down ballot, remember, in 2020, Republicans did better than expected. And he he, he went, when I interviewed him, he went through this list of all of these Republicans, because he's clearly keeping score, right? He went through this list of all these Republicans who had won their races from Susan Collins to, Tom, you know, to uh, uh, Joni Ernst. And I did this, I did a route, Ron DeSantis, he said, I've helped Ron at a level no one's ever seen before. Um, that, of course, Ron was 2018. But there is some truth to that, that he did help them by doing rallies and, and, and you know, ginning up the base. But it's also true that he was so toxic and just failed to do the, you know, the the basic fundamental job of the president as like the soother in chief and leader during a time of great national crisis. And people were like, all right, you know, I can vote for a Republican, but not this guy. Right. I mean, that's the thing that's so interesting is he's sort of a fascinating character. Like, imagine having this guy as your boss or your dad. Oh, my God. There's a funny line. And it's it's interesting because, yeah, well, I mean, I'm no Mary Trump. You know, you, you know, Mary Trump, Molly. She's the expert at this because she not only has the 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 firsthand experience with the family, but that that brilliant of psychologists logic as to, you know, what what is what is motivating him. But one of the things I heard from an aide of his, and it's interesting on, on a number of levels, but, but a lot of the people who work for him are very clear-eyed about who he is. 
And in private, they will say things like Steve Bannon said to me once, and I quote this in the book, he said, you know, Trump is the guy, going back to your question, he's the guy, women hate him because he's the guy, you know, he's the husband who cheated on you, the dad who forgot your birthday, and the boss who sexually harassed you. I mean, I think that's... (laughs) (laughs) Seems very true. Coming from Steve Bannon, right? That's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing with Steve Bannon, why he's done so well is because... He's very smart. I mean, he's just incredibly evil. But that is my opinion. <laughs> he's taken this election fraud lie and realized that you can monetize it. You can build a, po- a political following and a big uh, nest egg. Yes, and he has, which has been super fascinating. And one of the things that I was glad you did in your book was that you— Don't start with Trump, because Trump is not the beginning of Trumpism. Thank you for noticing that, yeah. (laughs) You get to exactly who the beginning of Trumpism is, and it's so true. Talk to me about Pat Buchanan. So Pat Buchanan was the person who I think best personifies the problem that the Republican Party uh, continues to have, and that's that he was the guy that, that Republicans establishment Republicans let inside the tent who then, you know, pissed inside the tent. He, and and this is actually what he did. And he's very proud of this. So I'm not saying anything disparaging of of, of it, but after running against the sitting Republican president, George H.W. Bush in 1992 in the primary and almost taking him out in New Hampshire, um, which was a, a, a sign that Bush was not going to hold up very well against Bill Clinton in the fall. But Pat Buchanan stayed in the primary race long enough to really bloody up H.W. And I interviewed him a number of times for the book, and and you could begin to see the seeds of Trumpism in that primary for a number of reasons, one of which is immigration, right? So Pat told me he remembers the night of the California primary in 1992, and he wasn't doing very well because he, of course, had no shot at at becoming the nominee, but he looked at the returns from Southern California, and in Orange County, San Diego County, and L.A. County, he was getting a much higher share of the vote than he should have uh, for basically somebody, like a dead guy on the ballot, you know? Right. And it was all about immigration because he had gone to the border and said, I'm going to build a fence. But it was also, it wasn't just immigration. He told me, that the, the, the thing that motivated him to get in that race was affirmative action. He was so angry that Bush had signed the civil rights bill in 1991 that he said that was the last straw because he saw it as, as a betrayal, as a way that Republicans were siding with Democrats and progressives who wanted to give minorities a, a, a free lunch, so to speak. And that's what pushed him into the race. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or I prefer Don't you? That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows. I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will, because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands, from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. It's funny because it really is such a core tenant of this Republican Party. You know, they would sort of pretend it wasn't the core tenant until Trump, in which case then, well, or until Buchanan really is, mm-hmm. is the truth. So explain to me where you sort of where you get to in this book in a vague way for our listeners, what your general thesis here is. What I started working toward as I reported and then started writing the book was to explain more about those people and the episodes like Buchanan and and his experience in 92 that showed you the ways that the Republican Party's modern history is one of inviting insurgents inside the tent, thinking you know, and, and, I, and I, I go from Buchanan to Sarah Palin to the Tea Party to Trump. Then the establishment Republicans making the mistake all along that they think they can control and co-opt these people, starting with Bush inviting Buchanan to give a speech at the 1992 Republican convention in prime time, which they never should have done. And right. as Buchanan reveals to me, they didn't even read before he, or they didn't ask him, they read, maybe some, someone read, might have read it, but they didn't ask him to change anything. And it ended up, you know, for your, your listeners who are old enough to remember being the most famous convention speech given in modern times, the famous culture war speech where he rails against homosexuality and the evils of Clinton and Clinton. Um, and it just blew the lid off the convention center and it horrified the bushes and it horrified the, the media and the establishment and Buchanan loved every minute of it. 
And so what I do is I build on episodes like that, you know, ones that I think people have forgotten or at least don't remember as clearly these days, like the Ground Zero Mosque, which most people will remember in the summer of 2010. Oh, God, I remember that. Yeah, right. And Trump, people don't remember, was involved in that. He offered to buy the, it was a publicity stunt, but he offered to buy the land to keep this, and it wasn't a mosque, of course, it was an Islamic center, just like, you know, a Jewish community center or a YMCA, it just happened to be Islamic. And and Trump offered to buy the land so they couldn't build it there. And it it got huge news attention at the time. Sarah Palin is back in the news for suing your employer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually headed to her trial. uh, (laughs) After we get done here, I'm going to the trial to observe and to report for the Times. So yes, it's it's very timely. I mean, unless something goes horribly wrong, which it can, and it it often has in American democracy, (laughs) it seems unlikely that she has much of a case here. But as a journalist, and I mean, I'm on the opinion side, but still, the idea of making a mistake and it ending up on television is pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Or ending up on trial for making a mistake for something that you said that you didn't intend um, to be taken the way it was taken. And that's essentially the Times' case. It, it, it was it was, it was was both an honest mistake that the paper soon corrected, um, but also that the writer, uh, the editor, didn't intend for it to be interpreted as, as Sarah Palin causing this mass shooting, which, of course, is what she's claiming. It's interesting because I observed her today on the stand. And... It was like a time capsule back in 2008, watching her at the convention, giving the speech at the debate with Joe Biden in these interviews with journalists who were her sparring partners. Um, She has had such a, a talent for engaging and antagonizing institutions and people that her voters, her followers loathe. And Right. That is Trump. Very Trumpy. Yeah. Because it's it's more about with Trump who your enemies, like having the right enemies. And Palin, she can be really irreverent and funny. And people, you know, it, they they there's a tendency to just kind of, you know, write her off as, as as some kind of dimwit. And she's, you know, she's not like today it was on the, during the trial, she didn't like the question that a New York Times lawyer was posing to her. So she she blurts out objection and like <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Which I don't think they can do, right? That's not how, no. <laughs> That's her lawyer's yeah. job. Like, uh, But the crowd laughed, and it was just kind of a reminder. It it, it, what it reminded me of is, like, th- that was the spark that a lot of people saw in her. Uh, you know, the, the flip side of that is the grievance. Well, and she's also, the flip side of that is that she's a fucking moron. I mean, like, you're electing people who are too stupid to govern. I mean, sorry, go on. But yes, the grievance, too. I'm sorry, I just had to interject that. Yeah, it's your podcast. You're entitled to, <laughs> to, to spout off as you choose. Um, I'm just singing for my supper. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate <laughs> it. But no, the grievance was, was a key part of her formative political days, right? Like her her early days as a, as a city councilwoman and a mayor of Wasilla. And it, it kind of starts in this anecdote that I, that I report out in the book where a, a, a Republican establishment type figure who's the son of a famous Republican senator refers to the people in Sarah Palin's hometown of Wasilla as valley trash. And that's because they live in this place called the Matsu Valley that wasn't as prosperous as Anchorage and was kind of rednecky and it had a high percentage of evangelicals. They call it the Bible Belt of Alaska. And what does Palin do with that? 
she takes it and wears it as a badge of honor. And while she resented it and, and it kind of stung to be called tr- Valley Trash, she realized that, hey, there's something here. Turning that around on them, people respond to the fact that I throw this back in the, in the faces of the elites who look down on me and people like you. Right. And that's a very, very Trumpy trope. But there's no world in which Trump saw this and put it together and was like, I'm going to be this person. It wasn't as, you know, one plus one plus one as that. It was it was more like he saw her on television and he thought she was hot and he knew that. She, and that's that's actually true. It's somebody who, who works with him told me that, although I won't use the exact words Trump apparently used to describe her her appearance. Oh. And that's the thing is, is it, right. and people, you know, Palin, as much as she brought the, a lot of the scorn on herself because she she distorted the facts, she lied about the Obama death panels. It was, you know, she brought this on herself, but she was also, as I get into in the book, a, a victim of a lot of these men who had power over her, like Roger Ailes, who, who apparently, as I report, made her so uncomfortable in one meeting that he insisted she come into a Right. That she came out and she said, I never want to be alone with that man again. But the point, you know, Trump, did Trump put it together is your question. Uh, He saw her and he thought to himself, she's got so much power, but there's just something that she that isn't working. Like she doesn't know how to close the deal. And I don't think he thought to himself, I can replace her. But it so happened that her star was falling because she wasn't interested in pursuing a national political career anymore. And he was, and there was an opening for somebody like that on Fox News. And what does Trump do? He he joins the, the cast of Fox and Friends as a, as a a regular guest every Monday in the in the winter of 2011. I just am curious. Now you've met Trump. You've been to Mar-a-Lago. You've really dug in on how this sort of this kind of demise is, you know, of the Republican Party. Molly, I know you've been dying to know if the omelet station is bagging up Mar-a-Lago. And I was not going to ask about the omelet station, but (laughs) where do you see this going? Like, you have some clear-eyed sort of reporting here. Do you think he runs again? Do you think, I mean, where do you think this goes? Do you think Sarah Palin runs again? Do you think Ron DeSantis? I mean, where do you see this going? Great question. As much as as an author wants the end of their book to be the end of the story, I don't think that we're at the end of the, the Trump story and the story of the Trump party. I think that we're probably somewhere in the middle. And my answer to whether or not he runs again has been the same as it was a year ago when I went down to Mar-a-Lago for the first time and I could tell that he was still, so, you know, just so aggrieved and outraged and, and frankly deluded about what had happened in 2020 that I said, if the election were tomorrow, he absolutely would run. And I maintain that today. I think if the election were tomorrow, he's running, but it's not tomorrow. And he's a very fickle guy. He changes his mind all the time. In 2015, when he was getting ready to announce, you know, people close to him told me he was ready to call it off at one point, if not several points. So you just, you don't know. Getting inside his head is is very, is very hard um, because he can be so unpredictable. But yet at the same time, he's also one of the most like predictable political figures or popular figures we've ever had in American society because of, of, of how, you know, the outrage and the craziness is, is what's so predictable about him. So 
in that sense, yes, I would I would lean toward a yes there in 2024. Yeah, that's my take too. I, I mean, it's just if only it were a no, but it seems like likely a yes. Thank you so so much for joining us. This is great. Oh, thank you for letting me on to uh, to, to talk about it. I hope we can do it again soon. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.